Hello, and welcome to the October 21st, 2022 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Just a couple of short weeks ago, I competed at my second ever Ironman World Championships in Kailua, Kona, on the Big Island of Hawaii. The event retains all of its charm and mystique that befits the history of the Ironman in that place. But, of course, much has changed since the last time the race took place out there, and I'm here to tell you that while most of that change is for the better, the event and its organizers, they have some tough questions to answer before its future is certain. Before we get to those questions, I want to first acknowledge the remarkable performances by the professionals. On Thursday, the women were led pretty much from the start by the re-ascendant Lucy Charles Barkley, who made it quite clear that her injury is behind her and she continues to be a force to be reckoned with. Unfortunately for her, she does still struggle on the run, especially out there in the lava fields, and one Chelsea Sodaro, not a popular pick by anybody, she took advantage, going by after the top of Polani on the way out of town, never to be threatened on what was for her a superb day. The ageless Anne Haug rounded out the podium, charging up from behind with a terrific marathon. On the men's side, the race was absolutely blown apart early by Sam Laidlow, who set a course record on the bike after a blistering swim. And then, despite running an absurd 2.44 marathon, he had to settle for second when Gustav Eden ran an even more absurd 2.36. Christian Blumenfeld rounded out the top three. What was really the most amazing, though, was that all of the top eight beat Jan Ferdano's previous record for this event, leaving many to wonder, including me, how this could have happened. Regardless, one thing was clear. The future of the sport in the pro ranks is going to be very entertaining for a long time to come. For age groupers like myself, there were many things that were apparent with the new two-day format, and as I said from the top, almost all of them were good. The women's race was sensational and well-deserving of its own day. Ironman did a phenomenal job of turning the entire venue over in very little time for the two events, and the organization, mechanics, and just overall operations were efficient and extremely well run, as we've come to expect from this organization. Both race days ran very smoothly and without any snafus that I could tell. But, and I guess you knew there was a big but coming, always not perfect in paradise. First and foremost, the island was absolutely overrun. This was noticeable most on the ground, anywhere within Kona proper, where the streets and sidewalks were very crowded, to restaurants and shops where tables and servers were few and far between. It was also noticeable in the grocery stores, unaccustomed to having some six to 10,000 more people shopping for their wares, and where finding many staples became impossible by Monday before the race. The stories around accommodations are legion, and I'm not going to dwell on them too much here, but suffice it to say that while lodging in Kona has always been pretty pricey for what you got, things were amplified several fold this year. The airport too was unable to accommodate the rush of people after the race, and check-in lines and security was hours long for several days after the event. As an athlete, though, the very worst of it was the impact of two races on the need for volunteers. When insufficient volunteers could be found to staff the two events, Ironman slashed the number of aid stations on both the bike and the run, with the run being especially noticeable, going from 26 to 20. So instead of every mile having an aid station, it got stretched to every mile and a half or so. In the ferocious heat and humidity faced by athletes on the island, this was a potentially dangerous choice. 
athletes themselves were also being made to feel like it was their obligation to volunteer on the day they weren't racing. While for an athlete racing on Thursday, volunteering on Saturday may have been feasible for some, expecting those who were racing Saturday to volunteer on Thursday was asking a bit much. In the end, both races were pulled off, but this volunteer shortage is unlikely to improve next year. So what is Ironman to do? There's no question that the World Championship held earlier this year in St. George was a huge success. But there's also little doubt that the race in Kona was a significantly bigger deal, with all of the emotion and history and everything else that the race has there, making a lot of people harden their opinions that this event can only happen in that place. I'm really concerned about that, though, because if the race stays in Kona, we may see that instead of being a race for those with the best athletic skills, Kona is slowly going to become achievable only for those with the most financial resources. And add on top of that the myriad issues related to having this race in this small town where the locals remain outwardly hostile to the event and its participants, and you could see why I'm not the only one wondering if this is really a great long-term and sustainable solution. Clearly, this isn't something that's going to be decided upon quickly. The race, after all, returns to Kona in 2023 for another two-day event, and I guess we're going to see what happens after that. I'm guessing that by next fall, when 2024 qualifiers begin to take place, we're going to have our answer for what the future holds for this storied event. Before I get to the program today, I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters of this podcast, the latest of whom is Idham Mohammed, who signed up in India after deciding that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, he could sign up to support this program and in doing so get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out about every month. For subscribers at the $10 per month level of support, I also have a special thank you gift in the form of a pretty cool Boko Tridoc podcast running hat. So visit my Patreon site today at patreon.com forward slash Podcast and become a supporter so that you too can get access and maybe this cool gift as well. On the show today, the entire program is being dedicated to a subject that remains a source of much confusion and interest for triathletes and all manner of endurance athletes. That subject is popularly referred to as the fourth discipline of triathlon and is also known as nutrition. To help us really understand the why, how, and what of nutrition, I've invited two previous guests of this show to go through everything that we would want to know about nutrition as a triathlete. Why is nutrition important? How do we plan nutrition for training, racing, and recovery? What should our nutrition consist of? Can weight loss or altering body composition be part of our nutrition plan? And how can a nutrition coach help an athlete sort all of this out? Well, those two former guests are Alex Larson and Celine Evans. Alex is a small-town Minnesota-based registered dietitian and age group athlete. She joined me back in episode 79 to talk about her practice and the importance of nutrition for endurance athletes. She's the owner of Alex Larson Nutrition, and you can find her hilarious Instagram, where she edutains athletes with posts and videos covering all things endurance nutrition. Celine Evans is the dietitian for Life Sport Coaching and also has her own nutrition coaching practice in Penticton, British Columbia. She joined me back on episode 61 to talk about the folly of the keto diet. Like Alex, Celine is a multi-sport athlete and a registered dietitian and nutritionist. She's also a certified triathlon coach. Together, Alex and Celine answer a lot of my questions, and we have what I think you will agree is a very entertaining and educational conversation that I hope will help you understand this important topic that much more. 
If there's something that we don't cover in this episode, I hope that you'll send me an email or drop your question in the TriDoc Podcast private Facebook group so that we can get you an answer. For now, here is my conversation on all things nutrition with Alex Larson and Celine Evans. I am really excited today because uh, I have two of my favorite people here, Celine Evans and Alex Larson, both of whom are registered dietitians, both of whom run their own nutrition businesses, and both of whom I've had on the podcast previously. I'm not going to go into full introductions now because I've already introduced them before the segment, but uh, why don't you both say hi, Alex first. Hi, everyone. And Celine. Hello, everyone. Good morning. And I am really excited to have them back here today because this is something I've wanted to do for a little while. It was actually an idea that was proposed by my two interns, the Johnsons, Ian and Ben. They have heard many of the podcasts in which we've talked nutrition in the past, but they felt like it would be a great idea to kind of put an episode out where we just talk nutrition basics because it still remains... A, a subject of a lot of consternation, a lot of confusion, and I wanted to have two people on here who I have a great deal of respect for, who I've learned a lot just from listening to and following on social media, and I wanted to have a conversation where I, I don't think we'll all be in agreement, which is good. I hope that we'll have some things to discuss that uh, we won't totally agree on, but I'm sure there will be a lot of things that we will all see the same, the same viewpoints on, and uh, the end result should be that you, the listener, are going to have a much better idea about some of the nutrition basics, not just for endurance sport, but in your lives in general. So I want to begin right there with nutrition basics. And I'll start with you, Alex. What's in our food? Why does it matter? Well, obviously, you know, our food offers us nutrition. I actually talked with my five-year-old son about this. And so he's we're, and it, I always like to keep nutrition very simple. So I like to categorize things as what's in our food. Well, let's first look at what's the positives of food. We love to like demonize different things, different nutrients. And I'm like, okay, what's the good things that food is offering us? Food is energy. Food is nourishment for us. So we can categorize things in different ways. But first and foremost, I look at things of like, what is this providing me? Macronutrients and micronutrients. Is there any pros there that it's offering me? And what do I look for? Um, so depending on what it is that for, I mean, for endurance athletes, you know, it's providing us energy. What type of energy? Is it high in fat? Is it high in protein? Is it high in carbs? What do we need that for? So for endurance athletes, I say, okay, look for the protein. That's important for recovery. And look for the carbs, and that's important for performance, and start breaking it down from there and simplifying it. And Celine, we often, you know, Alex refers to things that demonize, that, that we demonize within our food. So what are the types of things in foods that are not necessarily additive? Some, sometimes things are just found in foods, but what are some of the things in foods we need to worry about? Well, I, I try and encourage people uh, when they're making choices in their foods to try and limit preservatives and a lot of packaged meals, trying to focus on whole foods and whole ingredients and trying to keep it simple, as Alex said, right? So I really work with what I, what I call an athlete plate. So if we're using a lot of the whole foods and eating relatively simply, we're also nourishing the body for what the body needs as an athlete, 
but you're also nourishing your immune health, right? And making sure that your uh, your gut health is good. We're keeping everything regular. Our immunity is working well with the v- good variety of everything that we're having in our guts. Um, and so I work with the athlete plate. And so making sure that you've got the carbohydrates, where is that coming from? Uh, whether that's going to be a root vegetable or something else, and then your proteins and then um, your, your color and your vegetables to work on the satiety. So when we're looking at things to avoid and things that are demonized, a lot of people are anti-carb. A lot of people are anti-gluten or, you know, they're trying to follow different fad diets. And then sometimes what's happening is they're limiting and they're losing out on some of the main nutrients that they're also missing out on. And it could be things like calcium, it could be iron, could be vitamin D. Uh, So those are a lot of the main ones that I'm, you know, kind of searching for when I'm looking through athletes' food logs in terms of what they're typically eating and making sure that they're not low in any of those because those ultimately help in bone health and performance. So I want to stop there for just a second and ask you both about this because, you know, fad diets are something I've discussed numerous times. And Alex, you and I talked about keto diet as, as an example. Actually, Celine, you and I also talked about it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, athletes are always looking for an edge, and it's not just athletes, really. I think uh, if you look on social media, if you look anywhere, you're you're bound to know somebody who's pursuing one of these things for some reason or another, and it's inevitably because they believe it's leading them to a healthier lifestyle. I've always believed that moderation is the best friend uh, mm-hmm. for health. And that means that you don't have to restrict anything. Uh, what are your views for people who just like to snack or who like to have baked goods or, or maybe who like to have things that wouldn't be considered necessarily healthy or even great for an athlete, French fries, pizza, whatever. I mean, how do you approach nutrition holistically to allow for people to, to satisfy those kinds of cravings and not necessarily feel like they're always having to exclude things, but still have a healthy diet. And I'll start with you, Celine. That's a great question, Jeff. And that comes up a lot because a lot of times when athletes start working with me, they, a lot of them might already be making some restrictions in their diet because they're trying to reach a certain body composition or weight goal. And when I start looking more carefully at what they're typically eating in a typical day, and their training load, a lot of times they're under eating. And so then that affects their fueling, their energy level, their mood, as well as their recovery. But then there's that natural physiological craving that happens in our bodies that you want higher fat, higher sugar things, because that's just the body's, it's it's craving things, it's starving. So they want those higher fat kind of less often foods is the way I I kind of categorize them. I don't want to demonize them as saying they're bad foods. I say these are the less often foods. And so I try and transition them into trying to eat a little bit more balanced, usually in the morning, a snack in the morning, mid-morning, a substantial lunch, again, following that athlete plate, and then the snack. And usually within a couple of weeks, those athletes are coming back to me and saying, you know, that little snack drawer that I used to have, that I used to dig in into my office all the time, I don't really want that anymore. I'm not thinking about it because now their body's actually getting the nourishment and it's getting more satiety and more balance and energy from them eating a little bit more balanced. And then I let them say, okay, you don't need to feel guilty by fitting in some of these sometimes foods. You just fit them in within your diet. 
a little bit like an 80-20, but they're training. So if they're most of the time they're making good choices and the timing of their fueling is right on, they can fit that in very well. And I try and encourage that because we are on this earth to enjoy the food that we eat, but we are also trying to kind of fit in whatever their goals are, whether they be performance, body composition together. A lot of the things you said really resonate with me. When I started this journey myself, I was very much overweight. I had a lot of bad dietary habits. And one of the first things I did was actually eat more and more regularly. I mm -hmm. increased uh, protein in my diet, which I know is one of those things that increased satiety. So I wasn't feeling hungry all the time. And I would have like a cliff Bar as a snack in between meals. And that really helped get me through and helped me in sustaining making better choices. And Alex, I've seen you repeatedly talk about fueling and how fueling is so important. How do you help your athletes make those decisions though? Because it's so easy when you're sitting there and you're looking at, you know, the 400 calorie bagel and then slathering on Nutella versus maybe something that's a little bit better for you, but has the calories you need. How do, how do you help the athletes make those good choices um, so that they are fueling, but then, as I, I love your your choice of words, Celine. What did you call it? The sometime food or the what did you? It's call a it? sometimes food, the not sometimes a bad food. food. Yeah. Yes. How do you how do you help them make those decisions? Yeah, Alex. I mean, from my philosophy with food is that all foods can definitely fit, and I think Celine hit it on the nail. Like when you have an underfueled athlete, they're going to crave foods a lot more. It's usually going to be the foods that are seen as not as nutritious, and so like if you get them fueling better, they don't have those cravings like hardly at all but also i want athletes to be able to live their life like i i've been showing this venn diagram on instagram where i want you to feel for performance as an athlete but also feel like you're eating like a normal human human being and you want to be in the middle you want to be able to do both like that's the dream in our lives because the majority of athletes out there are not going to be pros that are going to be their job is training like we have lives we have jobs we have kids like we're busy. So there are going to be times where you're going to have pizza night with your family. And I don't want people to feel guilty for having pizza at dinner. So it's like, yeah, have that pizza. Maybe you don't eat just pizza. Maybe have some side dishes like a side salad or some roasted veggies or some fruit with it and make it a more balanced meal. So you're still getting pizza. There's nothing wrong with pizza. But if you're eating half a pizza as just your meal, it's not the best option for athletes to support their training plus it's a lot of fat and if you're doing a long run the next day you're probably going to have some gi issues because all that fat's just you know real slippery in the gut and things are just going to flow a lot faster so mm -hmm. i mean it's all about balance like i want people to still honor their favorite foods mm -hmm. honor that their traditions with their family but make it work for their athlete nutrition needs you guys make it sound so easy <laughs> it's not easy it I know it's not. I know from my own experience, but I do want to address something that is sort of the elephant in the room. <laughs> Poor choice of words. Um, as you'll see in a second. So look, I came to this journey like so many other people do, very much overweight. And weight loss was the initial motivating factor for me. In fact, I know it is for a lot of people. They come to exercise or they come to triathlon or they come to endurance sport because they want to lose weight. And having spoken to both of you, I know that you don't like that. You don't, well, it's not that you don't like it, but you, you definitely don't want that to be the focus for people. You want them to focus on getting healthy. And if weight loss happens, it happens. I, this is going to be a multi-part question, but I guess the first question is, is 
there's no question that there are some people who not only want to lose weight, but they really should because of their health status. So, so how do you address that for them? Because you both have said to me and separately that that, that really shouldn't be the primary goal. It needs to be kind of a secondary or even tertiary goal. So how do you kind of help them cope with that and deal with that when, when your own philosophy is that you know, that's, that's, that's a bigger sort of lifestyle, bigger picture question? I'll start with you, Alex. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, every athlete kind of responds differently when we start working with them. It's like some athletes, I'll just have them start fueling more, fueling properly, and the weight just starts coming off because their body has mm-hmm. been in such an underfueled stress state that finally, once it gets the nourishment that it needs, it's like, oh, yeah, I can let go of this extra weight because I don't need it. I'm getting what I need. And, um, And then there's other athletes where they might see some weight gain during that really stressful time of peak season too. And so for them, you're going to have to really hone in on the off season to focus on body composition focus, because it's really, really going to be negatively impacting your performance and your health to be trying to eat at a calorie deficit while you're in peak training. Um, And then there's some athletes who you just stick them at a maintenance calorie level and they do see a little bit of like, leaning out very slow, slow leaning out, um, throughout training. And then you can really hone in on it in the off season, but it's all about priorities. It's like, are you training for vanity reasons or because you really want to perform at like your best and like honing in on what's the goal here? I can, sure we can focus on weight loss while you're training, but your performance is going to suffer. You might not feel as good, but if all your, the reason why you're training is to lose weight, then sure we can do it in the healthiest way possible. Um, but I tell people, I need you to be patient. It's probably going to take two to three times longer than what you think it's going to be if we're going to do it the right way, because the slow and steady weight loss is the good weight loss. Anything quick is just temporary weight loss. It's got to be a slow and steady process. And same thing with weight gain. Like if people freak out that because they gain two or three pounds over the weekend, I'm like, that's not, that's not two, three pounds of body fat. It's just water fluctuations and inflammation. Like calm down. It's going to be fine. Your weight's going to go back down in the next couple of days. Like, and it does, it's just, it's gets to be a mental game too with them of let's stop focusing on the number on the scale and let's focus on how you feel and how you feel in your clothes. And that's the most important thing is your energy levels and how, like you just feeling good about yourself. So, Celine, you deal with athletes, you you deal with people who come to you for nutrition. I mean, if someone comes to you and weight gain is their primary focus, do you focus more on body composition or do you do you like Alex just sort of try to refocus them on what their goals are or what they think they should be? Yeah. So you're asking if I have someone that comes to me and they want to gain weight. No, lose weight. Or to lose weight. So I focus quite a lot. I I agree with everything that Alex was saying in terms of trying not, you can make it happen, but I try and make everything happen when it's not in their peak season to try not to affect their performance. And I make it very clear to them that it's better to try and do that slow changes. A lot of times if I've already seen their training log and their food log, and I already can identify whether they might be in low energy availability or they might be putting themselves at risk, I address that right away and I say, yes, we can address this weight loss goal of yours. However, you know, I look at the nutrient adequacy of your diet and all these other things. Uh, These are a priority and it will end up being slow weight 
loss, as Alex was saying, because we want to try and maintain that lean mass. And then a lot of times when athletes, I've had an athlete recently come to me and she said, I've, I can do the weight loss. I do that, but I need to learn how to do it properly because she said, I lost all the power on the bike. Right. So she's trying to lose the weight. She did it herself to get faster on the run. And then it affected her power on the bike, which was not what she wanted. So she said, I need you to help me do this the right way. I need you to do this um, properly. And even now, there's a couple of athletes that can't go to Kona, some pros, because they have some femoral head fractures and stress fractures. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes you wonder, you know, the extent of the low energy availability and res that's happening in both females and males uh, in these endurance sports is way more prevalent than we are aware of. Uh, and I have worked with many in the past and it's something that I, I try and really kind of reiterate with the athletes that I'm working with if they haven't already had a stress fracture and say, these are the risks and this is why we have to focus on this. When you have women specifically who come to you and say, uh, and look, there's. I, I think we need to admit there's. There's going to be two different types of people who come to you. There's going to be people who come to you who are beginner athletes who really do need to lose some weight because of their health. And then there's going to be people who come to you who are already good athletes who maybe would like to lose a little bit of weight, but that shouldn't be the priority. So, mm -hmm. thinking of those two separate scenarios, uh, Alex, as someone who comes to you who's a beginner athlete. It's less about performance for them. It's more about losing weight. H how do you kind of handle that? balancing this idea that we have to be careful about uh, relative energy deficiency. Yeah. Well, and I think another standpoint too is like just their frame size and like genetics play a role too. It's, I mean, that's another factor. It's like these women, they've been struggling with their weight their entire lives. It's like, okay, maybe let's just focus on you being the healthiest version of the way your body is meant to be. You know, if they're five foot two and just a bigger bone person, like they're not going to be, you know, a, a gangly, you know, like, you know, endurance athlete, yeah. but they can yeah. still do successfully these events that they strive to do in the healthiest way possible. So let's have them fueling in a way that they feel best, they're strong, and they feel great start to finish in their races, and they can feel proud of themselves. I mean, so I mean, that's another factor, too. There's, I mean, there's so many elements to this discussion. But I think that's important, too. It's like also playing into like, what do you need to sacrifice in order to achieve this ideal body type that you have in your head? And, I, and there's a lot of body dysmorphia as well. You know, I've got some athletes who I say, okay, we can focus on weight loss, but I need you to first and foremost to work on like your body image for yourself, like and loving your body the way it is. Cause no matter what size it is, I don't know if you're going to be happy with it. Um, so that's another component to it as well. So um I've I been, uh, I've question, been, it's just, it it's does just answer, it does answer Alex. And, you know, I've been amazed at how much body dysmorphia affects men as well. And I'm speaking here from experience. Like I know when I am peaking for an Ironman, I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, this is how I want to look all the time. And yet I still find myself going, God, I, I really wish I could lose another five pounds. And I, why do I look so, so overweight as I'm like prepping for Kona? This is ridiculous. And it's because I'm comparing myself to the guys who are much smaller than I am, smaller stature, smaller 
smaller uh, skeletal frame, whatever. And uh, so it, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And when I show up in Kona and I'm surrounded by all of those guys, it's going to be significantly worse. Um, so I recognize that as much of it's a problem for, for, for me, I recognize it's tenfold, hundredfold for women. So mm-hmm. uh, I very much hear what you're saying. I want to shift the conversation to to really something that I think most of the listeners are, are, are really waiting to hear, and that is nutrition specifically for training and racing. So Lynn, when does an athlete need to consider fueling in training? And by that, I mean, you've both alluded to this idea that they need to f- be fueled to train. But if you're going out for a workout, at what duration of workout does an athlete need to consider incorporating fueling? Well, for my female athletes, I kind of split that up a little and I try not to let them do any training fasted uh, just because I want to make sure that they're well fueled. A lot of times when athletes have training, if they're being coached, every single session has a purpose. Right. And so if you already know that you're doing hill repeats or you already know you're doing something that's high intensity, that main source of fuel is carbohydrates. So we have to give your body the fuel that it wants to perform its best to be able to adapt in that training session. Um, I usually say to, to make sure that you've had something that's easy to digest before you go. Even if it's early in the morning, like a banana or half a bagel or something or an English muffin or even a glass of milk or something, if you can get if that's all you can get down. But anything that's duration over an hour to try and make sure that you're getting that, because otherwise you have the stores in your liver and your muscle glycogen stores to kind of get you through. Uh, Some people like real food. Some people like to use sports food. Um, And then there's also athletes that have gut sensitivities. They're trying to. GI issues, they have to watch out for for gluten or fructose. So then you kind of look at different products there to try and make sure that they're going to be um, having a happy gut. But in in saying that as well, you want to try and work on the athlete training the gut. I have an athlete now, it's coming long term. He doesn't use anything in any of his training sessions. And so I was like, okay, well, you want to be doing this Ironman. You know, we've we have these, you know, two, two and a half, three hour bike rides on the weekends. I really need you to try and take something. And at this point, I'm happy with anything. And then we can kind of work from there. So I try and really individualize it to the athlete, meet them where they are, right? And and then try and make adjustments that are going to make the biggest impact for them in terms of how they feel. And you try and get them to fuel with anything and they go, Oh wow, that was the best three hour ride ever, you know? (laughs) And it's amazing how calories can do that. Exactly. Yeah. And so you want to try and give them something that is, they're going to see the impact and see the positive effect of whatever it is that you've gotten them to do, make it achievable. And then from there you make adjustments, right? But you really have to meet the athlete where they're at um, and then work from there. And Alex, so Celine mentioned two to three hour workouts. Is there is there a time in your in your mind that you say, okay, if your workout is longer than X, I need you to incorporate fueling or nutrition into your workout? Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna like, if I if I have to pick a time, I would say probably somewhere between the seventy to eighty minute or more. But it also depends on like the intensity. Like if they're doing mm-hmm. like a interval workout where it's really high intensity, they're going to be burning through that glycogen really fast. And I'm like, well, you might want to have like some carbohydrates in your beverage that are just going to be easy to digest and just going to help you 
finish those last couple intervals really, really strong. Um, if it's only going to be, you know, an hour, it's, it's, and also the factor of how well fueled are you beforehand? Is it an early morning workout and you're not going to be able to get in the amount of carbohydrates that we'd like you to for your big long workout that's starting at 5am? Okay, then we're going to want you to start fueling a little sooner than that. So that, you know, you're not hitting a wall at the end of that workout. And if they're feeling like crap after the workout and notoriously, then once they start, like, like you said, Celine, like they feel like a million bucks when they start fueling really well around those workouts. They're like, yeah, this is what we've been talking about on, you know, social media for, you know, day after day after day. It's like, there's a whole nother level of like enjoyment to your workouts if it's well fueled. And like, it's such a confidence booster too. Yeah. So I want to get from both of you, I'm going to give you like a, just an example of a sample workout. And I'd like to hear from both of you, what you would tell an athlete. Let's just say it's a, let's say, let's say it's me. I'm 55. I'm a competitive Ironman athlete. Tomorrow I have a three hour bike ride. It's going to involve some sweet spot work, which means I'm going to have several 20 minute intervals at uh, 80% or 85% of my FTP. The rest of the ride is going to be done fairly easy. So tell me what you would advise an athlete like me to do for pre-fueling in terms of timing, and then what you would suggest for fueling during the actual uh, training ride. And I'll start with you, Celine. Okay, so it would depend on what time of day you would head out for that ride, Jeff. Let's say it's 9 a.m. Okay. So if you, if you already did a big training session the day before, I would be looking at your training block to see what you've done beforehand. And if you were a little bit glycogen deficient, potentially from a workouts leading up to this workout, uh, what happens on weekends a lot for a lot of triathletes with their bricks, then I would make sure that your evening meal was high in carbohydrate. So if we were looking at that athlete plate, it would be the red one, which kind of has about half of it carbs and then the other bits are kind of a quarter protein and, and vegetables. And then in leading up to your workout, something that was mainly carbohydrate, easy to digest before you head out on the bike. So I know Juliet likes to have pancakes. I like to have half a bagel. Some people like to have, you know, bananas, smoothie, yogurt, cereal, anything that you like. Everyone's going to kind of have their go-to foods, but easy to digest, moderate in fiber and fat. And then... For your workout, I would like you to pack some sports drink with you. So whatever electrolyte beverage you like to have that does contain carbohydrate in it, not just noon, because that's just sodium and electrolytes. And then if you have bars or fruit or gels, whatever you'd like, but I'd probably try and aim for anywhere from 50 to 90 grams per hour while you were doing that training session. Knowing, Jeff, that you're heading out to Kona, you're working on training your gut, we want to be getting you uh, where you want to be. So I'm not sure where you're taking now, but I would be looking at what the athlete's currently been taking in and tolerating and then making slight adjustments based on the goal that I'm trying to get them at. And then I would um, get them to focus on their recovery afterwards too, which would Mm. probably be their built-in kind of lunch, brunch, whatever, within that kind of half hour, 40 minutes after their ride. Okay. And Alex, would you do anything appreciably different? Well, the bike is the buffet. As you know, that's my like slogan. So I like what Celine said about doing 
a carb rich meal the night before, especially if you're already kind of glycogen deficient. I would even say doing um, some protein and carbs as a bedtime snack too, just to help with recovery overnight. That's like a go to for a lot of my athletes who have back to back workouts day after day that are hard is doing that nice bedtime snack because then you can use that for recovery overnight and start reloading even more glycogen stores. And then in the morning, since you're starting at 9am, I would say, okay, let's get up, have a really carb rich breakfast, whether that's oatmeal, my go to team pancakes, so pancakes, syrup, load up on glycogen. And then I knowing that you have a race coming up, and that I would assume that you're probably been training at like our goal rate, what we want you on the bike for Kona, which would be at least 90 grams of carb an hour. Some athletes can even do a little bit more on the bike because again, it's the buffet. I love a hydration mix in the bottle, whether that's Tailwind, Scratch, Morton, whatever it is that they prefer. I love having those in the bottles and then practicing how much you're going to take per hour. So if it's a bottle an hour, we know how much hydration you're getting from that. You're going to get plenty of sodium, plenty of carbs, and then supplementing with gels or waffles or bars or real food, whatever it is that they're planning on using in their race, we'll have you doing during that bike as well. Because the goal always with the bike is to fuel you really well so that you can go into the run, not at a deficit. Because once you get behind, especially in anything 70.3 or beyond, it's so hard to get caught back up and you're going to be suffering in your performance. So what I'm hearing from both of you and what I really appreciate is the amount of individualization that goes into this. Mm -hmm. It's it's really remarkable. It's something that I wasn't totally, I didn't completely appreciate before this, even this little snippet. I've seen you uh, comment before, Alex, about how uh, people are always saying to you, they can't, they can't believe that they're paying more for their dietitian or nutritionist than they would for their coach. And yeah. that's because it's this involved and this invested. Yeah. I mean, you're looking over their training and you're looking over their life in general to match the nutrition that they need, not just for their training sessions, but for everything else that's going around it. And I really appreciate that. I can really see how that is so individualized. And so, you know, you mentioned 70.3 and Ironman distances, and I, I'm guessing that shorter than that, you don't necessarily need a nutrition plan. Is that accurate? I mean, with an Olympic, it's definitely important to have something, but you can get, you can get away with it a little bit more. Like with a 70.3 and a full distance, like it make, it can make or break your race so easily if you don't have your nutrition dialed in. So yeah, like a sprint, you're basically focusing in on hydration, though I just did a sprint in August and I had some scratch in my bottle just because I wanted a little extra boost in my run. My goal was to have a really strong run. And so even though I was under the 90 minute mark technically for nutrition, I didn't need to fuel. I still did because I wanted that little extra boost um, and I did feel good in the run. And then with an Olympic, yeah, you're going to want to have some fuel in there. But again, you could get by if you do a really good carb load and properly fuel beforehand, you probably, but do you want, I mean, is doing okay enough when you could do better by just doing a little bit of fuel, even during those races? Yeah. I guess what I mean is not so much, do you need nutrition, but rather do you need this like really intensive nutrition plan? Mm. I would say that it's a little bit more loose and more subjective. So I agree with what Alex was saying However, it's an Olympic distance, 
if you still want to go and feel really good on that 10k run, you, you kind of need to plan it. And I agree with Alex, I take sports drink. And sometimes I even tape a gel when I do a, a, a sprint distance, mm-hmm. if I want that little boost on the run. No, do I really need it? Mm, probably not. But it helps me feel good and finish strong and feel good. So same kind of thing, cut back on some of the higher fiber stuff a couple of days out before your Olympic, if you know you have a sensitive gut, try and limit some of those things that you already know could be culprits. And and kind of do a little bit more, just work on making sure you're making good food choices leading up to it, right? So no, you don't necessarily need to carb load like you would for a half or a full, but you could still have a pasta dinner or a rice dinner or something with potatoes or try and make sure that you are still trying to make sure that you're going to maximize that performance. You've trained hard for this event. So you want to do the best that you can and feel the best that you can, no matter what distance it is. And so I try and work with athletes for that. Yeah, there's some athletes that really take that Olympic distance very seriously. They're trying to qualify for, you know, the world championships, mm-hmm. their ITU distance, you know, I mean, that's, they, they, then yes, when it, when they're there, that serious, they need a serious nutrition plan. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So let's talk about the plan. Uh, you mentioned briefly calories per hour and how you can train up to that. But where do you advise people start thinking about a nutrition plan in terms of how many calories per hour and how that translates to grams per hour of carbohydrate, because let's face it, that's the fuel that we should be using in a triathlon. And I'll start with you, Cillian. So when an athlete starts working with me, I, I prefer if they've given themselves several months before their main event or their A race, but sometimes they just kind of parachute in. And so we, we kind of have to almost work backwards and do the race, please, and then we do the rest of the stuff after. But generally, we decide on, um, we work on the training nutrition, ideally, in an ideal world, we work on building up their training training their gut, knowing what products they're going to use so that I can develop a plan. And then we talk about, okay, two to three days out before this race, we're going to work on making sure that we're increasing our carbohydrates. We're making sure our electrolytes and hydration is all ideal and making sure that, you know, where is their race going to be? I've had athletes go to South Africa and they don't have access to a lot of the potentially even the comfort foods that they might want to have, like let alone the sports foods. So we got to plan ahead and say, okay, well, what kind of things do we need to make sure you bring in your bag? Bring extra sports food because you may not know that that's going to be there. And then we design the plan. How long do we think that each discipline is going to take? What time does the race start? What is the weather going to be? So I have a couple of athletes going to Kona. So We've done other Ironman nutrition plans for other races. And I said, well, this one's kind of different. It's a bit hotter. So your coach is going to have you doing these hot bike sessions and run sessions. I need some pre and post weights so that I can recalculate what we want for hourly fluid, hourly sodium, and then kind of checking in to see how your gut's tolerating your carbs per hour, because that sometimes kind of drops a little bit in the intense heat. And then we make the plan. So hourly carbs, it can be anywhere like Alex was saying over 90 grams per hour, which ends up being 400 calories. But you have to look at the climate, the duration of their event. Is it a multi-day event? Or is it an Ironman? Is it an Ultra 520? Is it a Ram? So I, I try and tailor it for them to make sure that what discipline are they doing and then what are they going to be taking in with their foods. So I work out when they give me numbers, I tend to give them calories per hour, carbs per hour, and the intensity and the competitiveness of the athlete makes a difference as well. So if they're kind of top of their age group going fast, 
I don't really want them having a ton of higher fat quantum bars. I kind of say you can have maybe one per kind of one or two hours. But after that, I want you more carby stuff because that's not going to help you go fast. And they kind of go, oh, but I like those. And I said, well, yeah, you, you can eat it later. And we don't build that too much into the plan. So I explain why. Um, and I see Alex nodding her head with the high fat piece. Why you know, the more bars are on the Ironman course. And like looked at the nutrition. I'm like, what? Like, I know. Yeah, I have I have an athlete who loves them. And I say, well, you can have maximum kind of one every other hour because you're pretty competitive and I have to limit it. It is great at boosting the calories, right, Alex? But it's not the carbs that we want. So um, I've I've managed to kind of keep what they like, but still keeping it so that their gut's going to be happy and they're going to have their fuel. And then we work that out. um, So it's my own fault. It's my own fault. I ask, I'm working with two people who individualize everything to a very extreme degree. And then I go ahead and ask a very generic question. (laughs) (laughs) It's impossible to get a generic answer. So I get it. It's my fault. Like you look at the weather, you look at their, what their pace is likely going to be. You talk through different situations. Like look at Ironman, Wisconsin was freaking cold and rainy the entire day. So I had to talk with all my athletes. I'm like, okay you actually might need more calories because you're going to be freezing and using more calories just to stay warm. Like, dude, talking through those things of like, you know, last minute, look at the weather forecast. Like, and also, Celine, you mentioned like often athletes like reach out to us, you know, as they're just a few weeks up from their race, like, please, for the love of God, reach out to us like months in advance because there's so much prep involved for us to help you have a great race. Like we want you to trial carb loading at least (laughs) three, four times because it is not as easy as what you would think to Mm -hmm. hit that your carb number. So it's like, yes, reach out to us in advance because there is so many other elements that we help with that you wouldn't have even thought of uh, when it comes to dialing in your nutrition for those big races. Well, I, again, am coming to appreciate the amount of work that's involved and the amount, I mean, I've always thought of nutrition as the fourth discipline and you are only hammering that home here very nicely. I had all these other questions that I was just going to ask, but they're all generic. So I don't know if I can ask them, (laughs) but you've, you've kind of answered a couple of them. Uh, One of them was things to avoid. So you've both very nicely and eloquently pointed out that fat is not a good one. Yeah, I mean, I will make one exception, though. There is something really special about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich halfway through your bike of an Ironman because you're out there all day long. And sometimes it's just a morale booster You to have some real food when you're out there in like just sucking down sweet stuff or like maybe a savory gel. But like having a little bit of real food, even though it's high fat, the bike is the buffet. Typically, GI wise, you can tolerate a lot of stuff. But like that whole mental piece too and, fla- and and trying to prevent flavor fatigue is a really important factor too. So again, not a generic response, but like just saying there's yeah. always exceptions to the rules because there's many different other components to making sure that you feel good and can sex- successfully implement your nutrition plan that entire race. Yeah, I, I have uh, people have asked me about the peanut butter sandwich, and I always tell them if you can tolerate it and yeah, if you can eat course. it, then go for it. I, I know personally, I just don't feel like eating. Like I get to 90K and I used to keep stuff in my special needs bag and I'd look at it and I'd be like, forget it. I have gotten to the point though, I, I can't do it in Kona because it's too hot, but you know, a handful of MMs, peanut MMs, awesome. Mm-hmm. 
They're great, mm-hmm. you know, just because you can easily keep them in your hand and just sort of pop one in every once in a while as you're going. And uh, those are great. I also tell people sometimes Pringles because the saltiness is mm-hmm. really nice. So I agree. The flavor fatigue is a big deal. And, and like you said, if you it, it, the treat, just knowing that it's sitting there waiting for you in your special needs bag is, is also motivation. W- what about other nutrients, though? Are there anything else? I mean, of course, salt, very important. Uh, we all know salt is, is hugely important. Are there other nutrients that uh, people should include in their nutrition? Um, if possible, generically, I know it's going to depend a lot on where you are, what you're doing, who you are. But are there, are there other micronutrients or macronutrients that people need to consider including in their nutrition for longer course racing? Alex? Well, I don't know if you consider this a nutrient, but caffeine is one definitely that I talk with my athletes about and using that strategically um, because that can be a performance enhancer and a really nice tool to use to help get you through the day and have, again, just giving you that nice boost to to feel great. That's a whole nother, like, it's probably its own blog or podcast episode, but that would be one too that I definitely hone in with athletes in how to use that strategically. Yeah. And you, Dylan? The other one that I sometimes use, I know that when you've done a podcast on supplements, you're, it wasn't as, as popular, but I have found it anecdotally to work very well for me. And that was with beetroot juice, just in terms of the nitrates. And so I wouldn't really recommend it for somebody that was doing a, a longer race so much, but some of those shorter ones, and then sometimes even shorter events. And I work with just swimmers and they're doing races. Then sometimes we play around with beta alanine and, and things like that. But again, it's very individualized. It depends on the person we kind of play around. And then we also make sure that a lot of these ple- people are competing at a high level. So we have to make sure that they're all very safe products to be using. We know that they're safe if they were going to be drug tested yeah, at any way. And we have to make sure point. that they're using the right products. So again, that's a whole other ball of wax. It's interesting that you said you've had positive results with it because the recent studies have suggested it's not as good with women. It mm-hmm. tends to be much more beneficial with men than with women because women just naturally have higher nitrates, nitrates. But that's great that you're getting benefits. And certainly it's a very healthy thing to take anyway. So I don't have any issues. Wouldn't um, do any detriment for sure. Wouldn't do any That harm. is for sure. That is for sure. All right. So you've both at, at different points in the conversation mentioned briefly recovery fueling. So I want to spend just a bit, a little bit of time talking about that. I think that you, you both mentioned protein being incredibly important. Obviously, you go out for a hard, hard workout, you have some muscle breakdown, you want to get protein back in there to help with that. And then carbohydrates. I think people don't recognize that carbohydrates are so important for recovery. How do you tell people to get a balance between carbohydrates and protein? Or is it just kind of have at it? Alex? consider recovery nutrition for endurance athletes any other time that they're not training is an opportunity to recover because just because of the nature of an endurance athlete they're training long hours typically on a daily basis and so any other time during the day is an opportunity for recovery but that hour window after a workout your body is really primed to reload those glycogen stores very efficiently so that's very very important And then also making sure that you have a good quality protein to just kickstart that recovery process. And something that people don't realize with carbs is that when you have that little bit of insulin spike, that actually helps trigger the muscle to take in those amino acids very efficiently. So it's very important to get both protein and carbs post-workout. Even if you're not hungry, drink your nutrition for all means. Like It's so important, especially when you're doing back-to-back workouts like we usually are, to honing in on that hour. And then 
I would say don't go longer than three, four hours without eating, you know, throughout the rest of the day, you got to supply that consistent nutrition throughout the rest of the day to continue that recovery process. Because it's not just about fueling that workout, the workout is the stress. And then the rest of the day is the recovery. And that's where you see those physical adaptations and you see those performance gains. I agree 100%. Uh, I use something what I I call the three R's of recovery. So you've got the repair, which is your protein, depending on your age, your gender and all those things, minimum kind of 10 to 10 to 15 grams up to up to 40 grams, depending on where you're at. And then one gram per kilo body weight per carbs is kind of a general guide. And then depending on the length of the workout, I might say, and that's your replete. And then your rehydrate is your your fluid, right? And that's your electrolytes. And so if an athlete's doing a really long workout and they happen to weigh themselves, I mean, going back to very beginning of our podcast, I don't like to have athletes weighing themselves very often for the reasons that Alex was alluding to. But I do get them to sometimes do pre and post weights when they're doing training. And so sometimes doing those periodically, I can say, okay, well, you lost a kilo. That's about a liter of fluid. I want you to try and drink one and a half times what you lost during that time. And then there should be some natural sodium within any of those foods that you've got to try and kind of get that more aggressive rehydration, especially if the athlete's doing two training sessions in a day, which is very common in triathletes for at least three of those days in the week because you want to make sure that that next workout can be good quality as well, right? So I always say eat every three to four hours, never go longer than that. So I agree 100% with that, Alex. And then also, depending on the athlete, if if we were also working on body composition manipulation, then that recovery can kind of combo as a meal, right? So it's not the recovery and then they have a meal. And a lot of times there's that natural, as Alex was saying, they're not hungry after a big intense workout. Our bodies are just, our hunger is way down at the bottom. We don't feel hungry. So drink it like, like Alex was saying, but really prioritize getting that in. And if you can combine it, meal as a recovery for that athlete, they still need to eat often for their weight loss and kind of body composition goals, but they still have to hit that recovery. And that falls off to the wayside when they're yeah. prioritizing weight loss because they tend to be mm-hmm. preoccupied with the number, yeah. right? But so. they, le- I mean, they learn pretty quick that if they don't eat enough, they're going to be hungry in the evening. And when they're tired yes. and then they, they're like, oh, I didn't eat well in the evening. I'm like, well, yeah, we need to front load calories earlier in the day so that you yes. don't have that issue yeah. in the evening. Yeah, exactly. I've gotten a lot out of this conversation. I mean, the individualization of the nutrition plan is quite remarkable. The the depth that it goes into, I'm really quite impressed. Fueling is an ongoing thing, eating to perform and then eating to recover, all part of a process. Celine, tell us a little bit about where people can reach you and what your business is. I work under two different hats. I work uh, through Life Sport Coaching as a nutrition coach. So you can reach me there. And I also have my own private practice called Nutrition 360. And you can reach me there as well. I'd be happy to help with any of your nutrition race goals. I just had a couple of athletes do the Ultra 520 this past year locally. And that was that was really neat as a multi-day wow. race. And Alex? And we... Just had Penticton Ironman, so I'm very happy that we've had that locally now. Yes, it's nice to have that back. And Alex, where can people reach you? Tell us about your business. I'm at Alex Larson Nutrition, so I have a lot of originality in my name, like my business name there. But <laughs> I'm on social media. Instagram is probably where I spend most of my focus. 
And I do have a Facebook group as well that's pretty active. But my website's Alex Larson Nutrition. I've got a nutrition coaching program there that's one-on-one with a dietitian. So I actually, it's myself and I now have two other dietitians. I have a whole team now. So myself and Hannah, who's on my team, we are both triathletes. So we've both done quite a few triathlons in our in our background hannah's done kona herself she's a very excellent athlete herself so um triathlon for sure is like our favorite to work with just because it's it's our preferred sport all right well i'll have links to both celine and alex's contact info and i hope that people will have learned a lot from this conversation i know i have and that they will reach out to them if they have any questions or are interested in getting connected with their services alex celine thank you so much again for being with me today i really appreciate it and enjoyed this conversation and i know that it won't be the last time i get to speak to you both thanks jeff thanks for having us jeff that was great And that's it for another episode. The TriDoc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. I'm, uh... I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the TriDoc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com, or join the private Tridoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook, and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit try.coaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDark Podcast Facebook page, TriDark Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDark Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.